Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. It's so cool. I love how God just the mouth of two or three establishes words. First service, I said this, but I really feel like the Lord wants to, to tell people who are discouraged. And maybe you're discouraged because you've tried something over and over again, and you've had multiple times where you've been let down, and you've almost found yourself in a place where it's easier to stay discouraged than it is to get your hopes up for fear of them crashing again. And I felt like the Lord wanted to say to you, if that's you, to, to let your hopes get up, but put them in him. Because you're putting your hope in something. Staying discouraged is putting your faith in what has been. So take that from there and put it in the one who is and is to come and who's speaking a better word than what the failure in the past would say to you. Don't be afraid to hope. Don't be afraid. Don't let the many times that you've hoped and been discouraged keep you from hoping, but put your hope in him. So Father, I just thank you for that. God, I thank you that we would be like those who dream again. God, if there's any discouraged hearts in this room, Father, because of things we've faced, because of, of repeated disappointment, God, that we wouldn't grow weary and say that the cost is not worth it. Father, that we would continue to put our hope in you and trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, super good to be here. We're going we're gonna to pass the, the baskets real quick and take up our offering. I'll just bless that real quick. God, I thank you for that we have something to give, God. I thank you that this would be a place that when we sow into, Father, that, that it, it is bountiful, God, the, the, the harvest. I thank you that your word is going forth, God. I thank you for what you're doing, not just in our church, but, God, in, in your church, God, in your kingdom. I thank you that there's people gathered all over the place right now that are chasing and pursuing hard after you, God, and surrendering and yielding their lives to see your kingdom come and your will be done. Father, would you just bless this offering and do more with it than we ever could imagine. In Jesus' name, amen. It's true, uh, the kingdom of God is, is advancing, and, and, um, and it's an exciting time to be part of the family of God. It really is. I, I was down in Atlanta last week. It was, it was amazing being down there. It really was. Um, there's, a, there's IHOP uh, Atlanta and Newbridge Church have kind of come together, and they do IHOP stuff during the week, and then they do Newbridge Church on Sunday mornings, and I had met the pastor of that church uh, about three years ago. I was speaking at a conference, and we met afterwards. We just kind of kept in touch, and he wanted us to come down. So Patty and I went down uh, Saturday and got to meet their kind of core leadership team and spent time with them. And then I preached the Sunday morning services and the Sunday evening service. And um, you know what's crazy is I, I went there, obviously, because I felt like I was supposed to, but I felt like the Lord ha would have me go there and, and speak. But what I received was incredible. And you know, sometimes, like, you, you're missing something, but you don't know that you're missing it until you find it. Like, like the things that you know you've lost are, are, are easier because you know you've lost it, so you're looking for it. You can find it. But I went there, and, and I found something that I didn't even realize was missing. And just because of things that have gone on, there's been a part of my heart maybe that was a little bit, you know when someone loves and honors you, and you're waiting for the hook? 
and the, and then or or you weren't waiting for the hook, and all of a sudden you realize, oh wait a minute, there was a hook in that. And then it makes you a little more cautious the next time you're eating, because you're worried about the hook. And it it was amazing just to spend time with people that loved and honored, and then and you could just eat and eat and eat, and there was no hook. It was just love. It was just honor for the sake of love and honor. And, uh, and it really just did something in my heart and in Patty's heart and really ex- just encouraged us. And so it was awesome for us. And I heard that Dylan did an amazing job. I listened to second service. It was awesome. Um, he's actually in Tennessee this week helping David Wagner with the prophetic school there. Um, that's really cool just to see those little lights all over the place, you know. And just This is one thing that the pastor down there said, a, a guy named Jeff said um, he, was, he was just kind of declaring some things to the church. And he said, God is doing kingdom family. And if you want what God is doing, you have to choose into kingdom family. If you want to build your empire and play competitive church, you can do that. But you'll be doing it alone because he's not doing that. He's building kingdom family. And he's drawing hearts and he's drawing people not to to be under each other, but to come alongside each other and encourage each other and bless each other and pursue what he has for our cities and for our regions and for our nation together as a kingdom family, everybody playing their role and playing their part. And oh, so good, so encouraging to hear that because I feel like that's our heart is like, man, we just, we don't think we're it, we think we're part of him. You know, and it's so cool. Just, it was just really awesome. It really was. And there was just some really good times um, and super encouraging, and it's, it's fun to go do that. It's fun because they've never heard any of your stories either, you know, so everything's new and exciting for them. You guys could, like, finish most of my stories for me by now. They're like, oh! I'm like, oh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> um, so it, it open your Bibles up to Exodus chapter 13. Um, I, there's something in here. I, the, the longer I walk with God, the more I love the book of Exodus, because I see the heart of God revealed in how he is towards his people and who he wants to be for his people. You see this, like they've been in Egypt for this time and God promised that he was going to deliver them and they've been waiting to be delivered and and then deliverance comes and you actually get to see God be who he desires to be for his people played out in front of you in the way that he leads Egypt and or leads Israel. And so, um, so we'll start reading in Exodus chapter 13 um, in verse 17. Now this is this is right after Pharaoh has decided to relent and let the people go. You know, it, it took a lot of convincing. Um, sometimes when God speaks something to people, they, they say yes to it in the moment, but then they have a hard time actually following through with it, and that was kind of Pharaoh. He, his heart was super hard, and, and so he, he had a hard time. But, but eventually they let the people go. Um, and so it says, Now when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of Philistines, even though it was near. For God said, the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Hence, the Lord, hence God left, led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. And the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. I, I have to stop there, because when I read that line, every time it arrests me that that we have to be living for something greater than just what we see. Like, Joseph saw amazing things happen in his lifetime, but he also had this outlook that said, God is going to do something incredible, and even if I'm dead, I want my bones to go and be part of it. 
Like, I'm not just living for what I see. I'm not just living for today. Like, I think it would be good for us to, to it's, it's amazing to live for what God's doing now, but it would be really amazing to have an idea and a, and a vision of a legacy of saying, like, there's going to be things that happen long after I'm gone because of the faithfulness that I'm sowing into being who God's called me to be. He's going to do amazing things. Even if I'm dead and gone, I believe that he will be faithful. Even if I don't see it in my lifetime, he will be faithful, and I want at least my bones to be part of it. Like, I want to be part of what God's doing, and I believe he's going to do that. And so he said, then they set out from Succoth and camped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. I can't help myself. I said this for a service. I said I wasn't going to this service. It didn't stay in Succoth. You shouldn't either. If it sucketh, leaveth. My little brother is cringing up behind the video right now because he told me only old people laugh at that. So if you laughed, you're old. I, I read that first service and I was like, I was trying to keep reading and not like, I'm like, finally, I'm like, this is stupid. I might as well just say it, get it out of my system and let my mom yell at me later. So they went out, they set out from Succoth and camped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. God, I'm, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive, God, that, that as, we, as we read and, and we digest and we eat and we hear and we, we absorb, God, that it is spirit and it is life. God, that it's not just words that we hear, not just words on a page, but it's life to us. It becomes who we are, God. We're not people who are just learning your word. We're people who are becoming your word, Father. I thank you for that. Holy Spirit, I ask that you open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds up to be able to receive what you have to say. Father, I thank you that we never, ever can come into your presence and leave the same as we came. Father, I thank you that, that our eyes are on you that we're asking you to come and blow on the areas of our hearts that we might not even know have gotten cold, Father, that they would be on fire again, Father. I pray that, that even just in this time today as we're gathered together, God, that you're, you're, you're breathing on, God, you're encouraging, you're strengthening, you're shoring up, Father. I thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. So, so the people have left Egypt and, and God, how many of you know that, that God is actually leading them to war? Like the ultimate, where they're heading to is a land called the promised land. And along the way and in the land, there are enemies that they're going to have to fight. And, and he says, listen, he says, you're, I'll drive them out. Now you go and drive them out. It's always that way. It's never God just saying you play no part in this thing for, for long term. There may be instances where he does things apart from you doing anything, but his overall long-term plan for your life is that you would actually co-labor with him to accomplish the things he's called you to accomplish. The amazing thing about that is, is you don't do it in your own strength, which means you never take all of the praise. In fact, Probably don't take any, and then you'll never worry about taking something that belongs to him. I would rather him come to me alone and be like, you know, Roy, I actually really appreciate that you did that, than him come and say, you realize you made people think you did more than you did. Yeah, just, I'll show you what Moses did, and it's a pretty amazing example, but... So he's leading them out, and he wants to lead them into war. He wants to lead them to fight. He wants to lead them to be this, this mighty people that possess the land. But he looks at them, and he looks, and he says, I've just led them out of Egypt, 
if I bring them straight to the land of the Philistines, even though it's closest, when they, see the, when they face war, when they see what, what they're going to have to do, their hearts are going to get weak and they're probably going to want to go back to Egypt. They're, they're probably going to want to go back to where they came from because sometimes the pain that we know is more comfortable than the unknown that he's calling us into. Sometimes we become so comfortable in a place of pain that we actually would rather go back to it when we face something once we've stepped away from it. So when God calls you out of something, realize this, like the the leaving is often glorious. Like think about this, the children of Israel are in Egypt, they leave, it's this triumphant procession out of Egypt greater than they could have ever imagined and the Egyptians are chasing them and stuffing gold into their pockets as they go. They're blessing them as they go. And it's this exciting thing, but then all of a sudden, like, they're facing something in front of them. And their tendency, if they're not trusting the Lord, and they don't know him, and they haven't spent time with him, is to want to go back to that place of pain than to be uncomfortable with the new, having to put their trust in the unknown, rather than what they know. And so God looks at them and says, I do want them to fight. And the Philistines are actually the enemy of God. So he wants them to fight the Philistines even. But he says, right now, they're not ready. And if I take them to a battle that they are called to at a time when they're not called to it, they won't be who they need to be when they face the enemy. And rather than winning the battle, they'll lose heart and go back. So I want to take them, even though that's closest. This is the danger of trying to make our own way and not actually just following Jesus is that God could give us a word that says you're going to fight the Philistines, and you look and you go, the Philistines are over there, so let's go, God, because there they are. And God says, you don't understand. You're not ready to fight them yet, and so I want you to go this way. And we're like kind of lead God, but God. And God's going, no, I don't follow you. You don't understand. I'm the shepherd. You can go there, but you'll be there alone. You can go fight that battle, and it's a battle I've called you to but it's not the time that I've called you to it. You can go if you want to, but you'll have to forsake me and you'll be there in disobedience and you'll be there without me. And I promise you, you don't want to be there without me. Just, we got to really be careful that we follow Jesus so that we can have the confidence when we stand before an enemy to know I'm facing this battle because he led me to it. And if he led me to it, then he thinks that I'm capable because when he looked and saw a battle they weren't capable of, he said, eventually I'm going to deal with that. But I can't right now because you are capable. You realize like the second they left Egypt with God with them, they're capable of of destroying any army. God knows who they are, but they don't know who they are because they don't know who he is yet. And the only way we can understand who we are is to know him and for who he is and then hear who he calls us to be. Then we can actually have confidence that we are who he says that we are, and then we're capable of fighting. And he says, you know what? Right now, that, that battle's too great for you. I'm going to lead you in a different direction because there's things I need to teach you. There's things I need to show you. There's history I need to build with you so that when I bring you back to that place, not only are you where you're supposed to be, you're 
when you're supposed to be there and you're capable of doing what it is that I'm calling you to do. It's so comforting to know that as long as I'm following him, I can trust every battle that I find myself facing. I'm capable through him of overcoming, conquering, and winning because if, it, if I wasn't, he would lead me in a different direction to make me the person that is able and then he would bring me to it. And so, so this is what he says. He says, if they, they might change their minds when they see war and want to return to Egypt. You, you know, like, if you're not careful and you're not actually following Jesus, you could find yourself fighting battles you were never called to fight. And even if you win, you don't gain because you're doing something he never called you to do. And the truth of the matter is, is you may be doing more harm in the process then you're doing good because had the children of Israel gone straight to the fight, straight to the promised land, they would have never given the enemy time to build the houses that they would live in that they didn't build, to drink from cisterns that they didn't dig, and to eat of grapes and vineyards that they didn't plant. God said, I'm bringing you into a land where you're going to live in homes that you didn't build and cities that you didn't build. You're going to drink from cisterns that you didn't dig. You're going to eat fruit from vineyards that you didn't plant. How many of you know it takes a vineyard quite a while to establish and start to produce enough fruit to feed a, 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 a land full of people? It needed some time. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, that, that is my promise to you. But right now, the enemy is actually preparing something for you. And if you go there and you destroy them now, you'll have to build the houses. You'll have to dig the cisterns. You'll have to do that. Why don't you trust me that I am bringing you where I'm bringing you and that I'm using even what the enemy's doing to bless you in the end? That I'm so far ahead of the enemy that while he's trying to figure out the last thing I did, I'm 17 moves ahead. And he has no idea that right now he's preparing the place for you. But if you go there before I call you to go there. You may win, but you lose. And then what? Well, you may still end up in the long run getting what it is he wanted you to have, but it'll be a lot more work on your end. It'll be a lot harder than it could have been. He would rather you just make slow progress following him than go shooting off like a bottle rocket, lose heart, come crashing back down to earth. This is what he said. It says, even though the land of the Philistines was near, he didn't lead them there because he was afraid if they see the war, their, their hearts will fail and they may want to go back to Egypt. He says, they don't know me yet. And so when they're standing there, they'll be looking at this city full of giants in a fortified fortress and they won't know me enough to be able to trust me. And they'll try to figure out how they can do it on their own. And they'll realize that they can't. And so they'll turn around and go back where they came from. So I don't want to lead them there yet. I'm going to lead them somewhere else. Look at the first place that he leads them. I love this. I love God's heart. I'll go back to that in a second. In Exodus 14, the children of Israel have now left. God's brought them away from the land of the Philistines, and he brings them out into this deserted desert between Egypt and the Red Sea. He calls them into this place, and they, Moses leads them, and all of a sudden they look behind them, and they start to see this huge cloud of dust 
and they realize it's the army of Egypt coming after them. And in front of them is a sea, and behind them is an enemy, and he's brought them into a deserted place where there's no trees to build boats, and there's no way to build weapons, because he wants to teach them something. Because he doesn't bring you to places just to occupy your time. Every place he brings you to is so that you'll learn something about him and discover his heart and his nature so that the next time, not only are you capable, but you actually are capable of looking at other people that haven't experienced what you've experienced and strengthening their hearts. And so he brings them to this place, and and look what the first thing that they do. Exodus 14.10, it says, As Pharaoh approached the Israelites, looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Y'all will turn on a leader quick. (laughs) What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. This is, and I, at this moment, God probably looks over at Jesus and says, this is why we couldn't take them to the land of the Philistines. <laughs> because they're terrified of the enemy they know, never mind the one that they don't. They're looking back at a familiar fighting force coming towards them, and they want to go back and serve that fighting force that's coming to kill them. You know what's crazy? The very people who were coming to kill them at one time were people that blessed them. And the Israelites did nothing wrong from the leaving when they were being blessed to the out in the desert following Jesus when they were being hunted down to be killed. Something must have happened. One bet the enemy came and started talking to the Egyptians. One bet he stirred their hearts and wanted them to go after and pursue and kill the people who just a few days before they had blessed as they left. The leaving is exciting, especially when you're being blessed or when you're leaving something that's so horrible. Don't be surprised, however, if after you leave, you face a new enemy in front of you and an old enemy behind you. But don't let that cause you to be fearful and want to go back where you were. But this is what happens to the Israelites, except for one person. There has to be one person who's already been alone with God and already knows his character and his nature so that when there's a bunch of people who haven't been with him, they can declare the heart of the Lord to people and cause people to be strengthened and not panic and to cause people to believe that God is able. This man, Moses, never once wants to go back to Egypt. But the reason is because he's not running from Egypt, he's running towards God. If, what you're, if what's propelling you is the horrible behind you, it will only last as long as your memory of how bad things were. Eventually, you'll look back and forget how bad it was and start remembering anything that was good and going, maybe it would have been better to be back there. If you're just running from Egypt, eventually Egypt won't look so bad when what's in front of you looks hard. 
and you'll want to go back to Egypt because we seem to sometimes forget how bad things really were and only remember the good. <laughs> the Lord said to Moses, it's the truth. <laughs> and, and here's the thing is they're going, we would have been better off serving the Egyptians. Another time they're like, didn't we have lemons and garlic? Another time, didn't we eat meat? Like all they can do is remember the good of Egypt when they look back when what's in front of them looks hard. Listen, when what's in front of you looks hard, look for Jesus, don't look back. When what's in front of you seems tough, look for Jesus, look for him, lock eyes on him, be single-eyed and, and walk towards the Father rather than turning around, walking away from him back towards the pain that you knew. Because I promise you, it's worse back there than you remember. You've just been gone long enough that you forgot how bad it was and all you can remember are the few good things. There was lemons and garlic. Yeah, there was beating. There was slavery. There was manipulation. There was control. There was abuse. You don't want to go back to Egypt. But you have to be moving by what you see, not running from what you're leaving. Running from what you're leaving can get you away for a time, and that's fine if that's what propels you out, but at some point you have to lock eyes with him and start walking towards his promises. Otherwise, you'll never keep moving when you get to the desert, and you'll die in the desert because the pain of what's behind you isn't strong enough to pull you into what God's calling you to. It has to be the, the beauty of Jesus and the desire to follow him that's calling you forward rather than what's behind you pushing you out. Well, that could speak to a lot of people and a lot of things. Because you know what that's like. You know what it's like with the things that you've done that you wanted to be free from. When, you, when you're fresh out of it, the, the pain, the regret, the guilt, the shame, whatever it is that you're dealing with makes you say, I don't ever want to go back there. But after you've been gone for a little while, you start to forget the pain and the shame and the, and the regret. And you start looking back and going, yeah, but it was kind of fun. I kind of li like that. And it's kind of hard out here. Like, it's a little bit harder in the desert when we don't know what we're going to do than it was in Egypt when we were being abused, but at least we knew how things went. We were comfortable there. We're not comfortable here. And so Moses has already had these moments with God. Moses, when he was alone watching sheep, God appears to him in the form of a burning bush, and he says, Moses, this is what I'm going to use you to do. And Moses says to God, the same thing the children of Israel are saying to him, I can't, I'm not able, how? Moses has already had his moment where what he saw in front of him and what the Lord was calling him to looked too hard, and it would have been easier to stay where he was. But he pressed into God, and God proved to him that he would be able to. And so now that he has been alone with the Lord, and the Lord has proved his worth and his ability to him, Moses can never find himself again in the place that the Israelites are in. And God brings the Israelites to this place so that he can show them who he is so that they no longer have to live that way themselves. Moses has already been there. He already knows what's going to happen. He's like, oh, this is going to be amazing. They have no idea. They're going to get to see the Lord, and then they're going to be like me, and they'll never doubt him again. So, so look what happens. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. 
Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. It's pretty amazing. Moses stands in front of them and he's just, just telling them, you don't have to be afraid. You're afraid of them? Oh, you'll never see them again. And you're not even going to have to do anything. Why? Because he's seen himself just have to be obedient to what God's called him to. And he knows we are here because God led us here. That means God plans to do something on our behalf because he didn't bring us here to die in the desert. He brought us here to take us to the promised land. And so if we have a, a, a sea in front of us and an enemy behind us, something's got to give and it's not going to be the Lord. He trusts because he's been alone and he's seen it happen. It's, it's probably a lot easier for him to have that confidence because of what he's seen the Lord do. When, when he's with God, he says, how will I know? How can I do this? I can't. I can't. He's got all these reasons he can't. You know the first thing so many people do when God calls them to do something is find the reasons that they can't? You feed them. We don't have enough food. You lead my people. I can't even speak. We're so aware of what we don't have that we lose the fact there's a burning bush in front of you. Like that should erase it. The man Jesus is standing in front of you who you've seen raise the dead and you've seen heal the sick. He says, give them something to eat. The last thing we should be doing in that moment is telling him why we can't. What we should be saying is, okay, Lord, how will we do this? I'd love to. Let's feed them. But Moses says, how, how will I know? He says, what's in your hand, Moses? Moses says, my staff. He says, throw it down on the ground. He throws it down on the ground. It becomes a serpent. He says, pick it back up. He picks it back up. It becomes a staff. He says, this will be a sign to Pharaoh. So Moses, I mean, that's a pretty amazing trick. I'd like to be able to do that, if I'm honest. I'd like to have a rod that I, I mean, it'd kind of be cool to have a staff anyways, just to kind of walk around with a staff. You know, but he's got this staff. It's okay to laugh. And, and he, he throws it down and the sorcerers of Pharaoh say, we can do that. And they throw their staffs down and they make two snakes. You better know who God is or you'll be trying to figure out by what things look like what's real. But here's how amazing the Lord is. He doesn't want anyone to wonder. So his snake devours the false. The real consumes the false, devours it and destroys it, and leaves no question as to which one is the God of the universe, which one is the only one, true God. But so Moses has been there, and he's seen the real, and, and that's why like, you, you don't have to try to go around and figure out what fake snakes look like. You just have to know the real one. You don't have to sit around spending your time trying to discover the scheme of the enemy. You just have to know the heart of the Father. And when something doesn't line up with his heart and his ways, it's pretty easy to see that must be lesser. You don't have to know. People, I've heard people say this before. Well, you know, the Bible says not to be ignorant of the enemy's schemes. No, it does not. It says we are not ignorant of his schemes. Why? Because we're knowledgeable of Christ. And the, knowledgeable, the, the fact that you have knowledge of him means that you're not ignorant to what's not him. It's super easy for me to know if Patty's calling me, not because I've studied the voice of every other woman in the world, but because I know her voice. If I know her voice, I can't be fooled by all the others. 
The answer to not being fooled by another voice is not to figure out what the other voices are saying or sound like. It's to learn the one that's truth to the point where when you hear something that's not his, you automatically know it because you know his so well. See, Moses knows the Father, and, he, and so God doesn't want the people to turn back, and he doesn't want the people to be afraid, so he takes the one person who's been alone with him and says, you lead my people, and I'm going to show them who I am. And Moses stands before them and says, basically says this. Why are you guys afraid? Th- th- those people? Oh, you don't have to worry about them. The Lord will take care of them. You, in fact, you won't even have to do anything. You just have to stand still and watch, and, and you'll never see them again. That thing that you're afraid of, it's going to be swallowed up. Some of you need to believe that when you pass through, the thing that you were afraid of that was chasing you was actually swallowed up, and you'll never see it again. And then look what Moses does. The confident, brave Moses. He gets alone with the Lord, and the Lord says to Moses, verse 15, why are you crying out to me? And tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Moses had no idea what God was going to do when he told them, don't be afraid, you'll never see them again, because this is the first time that God tells Moses what to do. Here's the thing. It is quite okay to declare to people out of the knowledge of his character and his nature who God will be. That doesn't mean that the Lord has spoke it to you. We would do well to make sure that we don't have everything that comes out of our mouth be the Lord said and be people who know him to the point that we can confidently discuss his character and his nature and make sure that people know when we're talking about that stuff, we're not using language to try to make them think that we've heard something we haven't heard yet. Moses has no idea how God's going to do it, because up to this point, God hasn't told him. He just knows he's going to do something, and he knows that they're where they're supposed to be by obedience, so he knows if there's enemies coming after us and an ocean in front of us, something's going to happen to this, and something's going to happen to that, and nothing's going to happen to us because God called us to be here, and if he called us to be here, he didn't bring us here to harm us. He brought us here to bless us, and so we'll be blessed through it, and there's no way that I can see that we can do it, which must mean this. I'm not going to have to do anything. The Lord's going to do it, and I'm going to watch him. You know what I was talking about earlier about giving God the glory for it? Check this out. So here they come. Moses grabs his staff. He does what God says. He spreads his hand out over the sea, and God parts the sea. And the Israelites pass through on dry ground. And then when they get to the other side, God says, now you take your hand and stretch it out over the sea again. And when he does, that God brings the waters back together, and it devours the, Israelite, the Egyptians. And look what Moses does. He gets before the people and he declares this, God, you, by your mighty hand, parted the waters. And you, by your mighty hand, swept the waters back in and destroyed the chariots. They're they're having fun in there. (laughs) I don't know whose kid that is. Mine's a little too older, I'd know. (laughs) But this is the amazing thing is that it was Moses that held his hand up and the waters parted, and it was Moses that swept his hand and the waters came back together and destroyed the Egyptians. But Moses wants to make sure, God didn't have me do that to bring people to trusting in me. 
He did that to bring people to a place of trusting in him so that people's faith is in him and not in me so that there's ever a time that I'm not around, they trust God, not the man that God used in that instance. And we would do well as the people of God to make sure that when God tells us to stretch our hand out and does something amazing, that we tell people, look what the Lord did when he stretched out his hand. Not look what I did. And then it would be okay if God came to Moses and said, Moses, that was awfully humble of you, and I, I love your heart, but you, you had something to do with that, and I, I'm, I'm thankful that I can trust you the way that I trust you. You know how good that would make your heart feel? Rather than him having to come to you and say, hey, you know when you stood up there and told everybody about the great stuff that you did? Some of that was mine. I'm just saying, if you're going to err on one side, let's err on the side of saying, Lord, it was your hand. And let him come to you in private and say, actually... Because here's what happens. The Lord honors Moses and says to people, remember when Miriam and Aaron start to speak against him? They say, aren't we prophets? Don't we hear from God? Why does Moses have to be the one? The cloud descends on the tent of meeting. The ultimate oh no moment. Like, you know that you've been speaking against Moses and all of a sudden the cloud converges on the tent and calls you out. The fact that they could walk makes me think that they were pretty amazing people because the cloud said, bring Miriam and Aaron and Moses to me. And you know in your heart you've been talking about Moses. And God looks at them and he says, if there's a prophet among you, I speak to them dimly as in visions and dreams, but not so with my servant Moses. With him I speak face to face and he even beholds my form and I speak to him as a man would to a friend. And he says this about Moses. This is what he says. He says, not so with my servant Moses, faithful in all of Israel. And that word faithful there means loyal and trusted over time. What's he saying? I trust Moses because of the relationship that we have that's been developed over time. And because of that, I speak to him face to face. And he even gets to behold my form and my vision. Moses says, listen, I don't need any glory. I don't need anything. And God says, actually, I want people to know that I trust you. You don't have to tell people how much I trust you. I'll tell them. You just be trustworthy. <sighs> Got quiet in here. Listen, if, if your stories are leading people to you, there's something wrong with your story. I'll, I'll close up with this. Every person among them sees the amazing things that God does. And God doesn't just do these things. He hasn't just done the things he's done in your life so that you have another cool story to tell. He did them so that you would be convinced of who he is, so that you could be one of those people when there's a bunch of people around who haven't experienced him that way. You can look at them and say, don't be afraid. When I was alone and I wasn't with you, I was with the Lord, and this is what he did, and this is what he did, and this is what he did, and this is what he said, and this is what he showed me, and this is what he's allowed me to do, and you don't have to be afraid. There has to be people who spend time alone with the Lord that aren't looking for people to notice them for doing it, that are building our history and a relationship with him, so that when there's people who haven't been there, you can look at them with full confidence and speak about the character and nature of the one that you've been alone with. And listen, so, so, so all of these people hear this and all these people know this, and yet they get to choose whether or not it will change the way that they think. And, and so only a few 
go from, why did you bring us out here? Were there not enough graves in Egypt? To, let's go and take the land, for we are surely able. There's only a few that make that transition, because the rest of them had stories about who God was, but a few of them actually let that change the way that they saw, the way that they thought, the way that they acted, to the point where it motivated them to be able to go and fight the battle that God called them to when he called them to it. And this is the amazing thing. And this is why you have to live for a moment greater than just in your lifetime. Because God would eventually come and have his people fight the Philistines. And this is, I love finding this stuff. The first time that he was bringing his people out, they had to follow a man who'd been alone with him while shepherding someone else's sheep who had built a history with God and who trusted him when everybody else was afraid to be able to say, don't be afraid. You'll never see that again. Generations later, the army of God is facing the army of the Philistines and it's actually going to happen. Except it's not. Because there's a bunch of people who are afraid because of what they see. Until a shepherd who spent time alone with God, watching someone else's sheep, and who's built a history with him, steps onto the scene and says, you guys are afraid of that? Oh, don't worry about him. And he goes and he cuts the head off of the giant. And it says, and it emboldened the army of Israel. And they went after and pursued the army of the Philistines and struck them down and slew them. There has to be people who aren't doing it for glory, who aren't doing it to be known, who aren't doing it so that they can build a name or a platform or a stage that truly just want him, that will be faithful in moments when nobody's watching to go after him and pursue him and build a history with him so that in the moments when everybody's watching, they can step onto the scene and look and say, why are you worried about that? You'll never have to worry about that again. Why? Not because of me. He says, surely this day the Lord will deliver this uncircumcised Philistine into my hands. What's he wanting to make sure? He's saying, listen, you guys, just like Moses, I'm going to do something amazing and you're all going to be tempted to look at me. I want you to know before it happens that it was the Lord that did it so that you'll believe that that same Lord is capable of doing that through you. Because when you see me do what God wants to do through me, it'll embolden you to go and do what God wants to do through you. And you'll chase down the army of the Philistines and you'll slay them. But it started with one person having enough of a relationship with the Lord that when they stood in that place, they looked at the giant and they said, don't worry. It's amazing when you parallel Moses and David. Just simple shepherds who've encountered God alone and look at a problem that everybody's afraid of and say, don't worry about that. You'll never see it again. We need to be those people. So I felt like there was two different things that God wanted me to, to really talk about in this and, and, and to two different groups of people. The first one is this, is that sometimes when you've been pulled out of a place, rather than going and looking for another battle to fight, you just need to let him father you. You just need to be fathered, and you need to just walk in the way that he calls you to walk. And you may see something that needs to be addressed. You may know that there's a land over there where there's a giant, where there's an enemy, where that needs to be fought. That's okay. Let that be, because what they might be doing is they might be building something that's going to bless you in the long run. Let it be. Follow him. Let him father you and let him bring you to the place where he says, okay, now you're ready. Otherwise, you could wear yourself out trying to go fight battles that he's not called you to fight at times that he hasn't called you to fight them. Let him father you. 
Let him love you. Let him reveal himself to you. Let him build history with you so that he can bring you to that place and you can fight the battle that you're called to fight when you're called to fight it. Because then you can stand before it knowing, I got here because he brought me here. That means I'm prepared and I'm ready and I know the victory has already been given. And that's the first group. The second group is, 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 is there anybody here who feels that way? You feel like, you feel like yeah, you've been, just stand up if you would. We want to pray for you real quick. Yeah, you feel like you, you, you've been looking for another battle after coming out of something and I just want to encourage you in this. Listen to me. Let him father you to a place where he says, okay, go fight. Okay, you're here because you followed me. You're not here because you made your own way. You're not here because you thought that this would be a good idea. You're here from following me, and now you can stand confidently, even if you don't know how it's going to happen, and declare to people that may be afraid, don't worry. God's got this. Let him father you. So, Father, Holy Spirit, would you come? You said that Jesus said that you would lead us and guide us into all truth. And so would you lead us and guide us in your way, God? Not in the way that we think we should go, Father. Would you show us where you want us to go, what you want us to do, and that we would see what you see, God. And we would be able to confidently believe that we have no need for battle that you haven't called us to. But God, we would be patient and we would trust you. And if you lead us to a place of battle, we'll run towards it knowing that you brought us here because you thought we were prepared. Because you thought that we were capable of being who you needed us to be in this moment. So Father, would you just gently still our hearts. You lead us besides green pastures. You lead us besides cool waters. You set our, uh, restore our righteousness, God. You restore our soul and, and place us in, in a path of righteousness for your name's sake, God. So I pray, God, that, that anybody who's standing right now that may be looking for battle when you're leading them to gentle waters, Father, that they would just trust you, drop the sword, and let, lean into you and rest, and let you love them and father them. In Jesus' name. And the second thing is, is I want to pray this over all of us. The only way that you can be one of those people is to be one of those people. You can't live like Jesus did publicly without living like Jesus did privately. That's how you burn out. You try to live like he did in public without living like he did in private. You can't stand in front of people and confidently proclaim what the Lord will do and who he is if you haven't been alone with him to know what he will do and who he is. There's no shortcut. You have to be with him. And listen, our focus can get on so many, even good things. Ministry. Giftings. Families. Listen, all of those things are important. All of those things are things that God gave you and called you to steward wisely. But the thing he created you for before any of that was to be with him. And if that gets off, all of this can get wonky really quick. If this stays right, all of this will always stay right. So I just want to pray this over, over every person listening today. Father, would you stir up a greater hunger in our heart for you? God, that, that we would want you, not an idea of you, not for people to have an idea of us. God, not for what we want, not even for the things that you've shown us that we're called to, Father, at the expense of being with you. 
God, that, that our hearts would be gripped with this place of just wanting, God, where we wouldn't be able to breathe hardly sometimes, where we just need to be alone with you, where we feel like we're starving, God, to just get alone with you and let you come and father us and love us and commune with us and come inside of us and deposit something in us that then can be birthed into the world, Father. Would you just stir that in our hearts, God? I, I, I'm serious. I, I'm praying right now that you feel like you, like you need oxygen. You have to get alone with him, that you can't be comfortable constantly being in a room full of people and distractions when there's a lover alone in the wilderness calling for you to come be with him. God, would you just ignite that inside of us? God, would you call us to that place and put something inside of us, that integrity of knowing we've been with you. We know what you're like. We know who you are, God. And then we can confidently and boldly proclaim in the time of battle who you are and what you'll do because we know you, God. I thank you for that. Would you just come, Holy Spirit, and begin to just draw our hearts, God. Breathe on places that we didn't even know were dry. God, if there's places in our heart that have become dry, would your oil just come and saturate them, God? In places that we didn't even know were dry, God, things that we didn't even know were missing, would you come and restore them, God? Would you just bring back the things that were lost that maybe we didn't even realize were lost that are causing us to live less than you called us to live, Father? Would you come and just bring that back and restore it to greater than it ever was, God? Would you just do more than we could even ask or think in this moment, God? Let my feeble prayer be something that sparks something in our hearts, Father, that you could breathe upon. Without your breath, it means nothing, God. Would you come and breathe on our hearts? Would you breathe on your word? Would you make it alive inside of us, God? Would you just cause this insatiable hunger for more of you to grow up inside of us? Father, that we would just need and crave and desire to be with you. In Jesus' name, amen.